right, if you've got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. Hey, one thing I forgot to announce earlier, uh, which I announce every week, is uh, we take communion every week here at Faith Family, and so if you did not pick up the elements as you came in tonight, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and would like to partake with us in communion uh, a little bit later on in the service, uh, feel free to go at any point. Uh, if, if the message starts getting bad, just get up and go grab the elements and come back and give you something to do. Um, so if you forgot that, one of our ushers can bring them to you, so uh, make sure and do that before later in the service. I apologize for uh, forgetting that. Hey, we're starting a brand new series tonight uh, called Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at Matthew's uh, chapter uh, 5, 6, and 7, but predominantly over the next several weeks, we're going to focus on what we know as the Beatitudes. And we're going to focus on them kind of one by one and understand what the Beatitudes are teaching. Now, uh, inevitably, I get asked when I start a new series why. Are you doing a series on this? You know, why Hosea? Why 1 John? And so some of you will be asking, well, why would you pick the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount? And this would be my answer to you. And it's because as I observe what is happening in our culture, and even specifically within church culture, the more convinced I am that we need to understand what God truly values. The more I observe the culture, and specifically the culture that is currently taking place in many churches, the more I'm convinced we need to be reminded what God truly values. Because, faith family, what you see before you on a consistent basis, whether it's in the culture or in many churches, I'm afraid does not reflect, and in most cases does not reflect what is valued in the kingdom of God. It is most of the time the exact opposite of what we see. Remember that Jesus taught the first is going to be what? Last, and the last is going to be first. That is, whatever you tend to think is normal probably isn't consistent with the kingdom of God. And what you think is weird actually is more in line with what God values in the kingdom. You remember Paul's words in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1. He said, Consider your calling. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So most of what we see as valuable isn't valuable in God's kingdom. And so what I want us to do over the next few weeks, specifically with the Beatitudes, is we're going to try to understand what does God value and what are really the characteristics of the things that belong to God's kingdom and not the kingdom of man. Because I don't know if you've noticed lately, but we tend to be pretty obsessed with the kingdom of man on all sides. And so the Beatitudes really helps us, and the Sermon on the Mount really helps us understand 
what is consistent and valuable in God's kingdom. So let's begin by looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and I'm going to read down through uh, verse 12. But really tonight, and this is uh, not uncommon for me in starting a new series, it's really going to be an introduction. So we're going to wait and dive into the first beatitude next week. Uh, I'm just going to introduce them to you tonight. This is a little bit more teaching than preaching tonight, and so um, I want to just set a proper framework before we dive in. So let's, if we're able to stand, please do so as we read God's Word, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds... Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened up his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So would you just pray with me, not only for tonight, but over these next few weeks as we journey through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, and may our prayer just be, God, teach us your ways, teach us your kingdom. We want to know the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man, so let's pray. God, tonight, pray that you, by your Spirit, would come and guide us into truth. This is such a familiar passage to many of us, and yet... uh, I don't think we often fully understand all that you are teaching us as you taught the disciples on that mountain. So begin tonight by reshaping the way we think about the world around us, uh, including the culture of many churches that we see. And God, we just pray that that in each of us, we would uh, value what you value to the glory of Christ, we pray. And we pray it in his name and God's people said, amen, amen. You can be seated. God and man at Texas A&M. God and man at Texas A&M. That was actually the title of an article that was written by an English professor at Texas A&M. Her name was Virginia Owens. And uh, what Professor Owens did was she assigned her group of English students to do a paper, a response paper, on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, she assumed that this assignment, doing a response paper on the Sermon on the Mount, would be very well received by these students because most of the class was made up of middle-class, conservative, Bible Belt families from Texas. But what she was shocked by was when she read the students' responses to uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it was entirely the opposite of what she thought. 
Let me give you just a few examples uh, that she shared that she read in these student papers. The very first paper she picked up to read said this, quote, in my opinion, religion is one big hoax. Well, that's a response to the Sermon on the Mount. Another one said this, quote, there's an old saying that you should not believe everything you read, and that certainly applies to the Sermon on the Mount. Another student wrote, quote, I didn't like reading the Sermon on the Mount. It's hard to read and makes me feel like I have to be perfect. And nobody's perfect. One final one I'll share is this. This is pretty straightforward. The Sermon on the Mount is absurd. To look at a woman lustfully is adultery? That's the most extreme, stupid, and unhuman statement I've ever heard, close quote. Tell me how you really feel, okay? Now, what was shocking to her was that these weren't just a few negative responses to the Sermon on the Mount in just a couple of papers. It was like the entire class responded that way to the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, faith family, this happened 25 years ago. Can you imagine what the responses would be today? Professor Owen said she was shocked because she had grown up in church and her memory of the Sermon on the Mount was, quote, a pastel poster of Jesus sitting like Mr. Rogers on a green hillside surrounded by pink children. To her, the Sermon on the Mount was anything but controversial. Uh, Professor Owens concluded the article by saying this, quote, in a way, though, I found it strangely encouraging that the Bible remains offensive to the honest, ignorant ears as it certainly was in the first century, close quote. I wonder what comes to your mind, faith family, when you think of the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Wes is starting a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. What comes to your mind? We're going to be studying over the next couple of weeks the Beatitudes. What, what, what comes to your mind? Now, for some of you, maybe nothing comes to your mind because you've never studied or read this before, and that's perfectly fine. But if you're like me and you grew up in church, oh, things come to mind. It's like the, the bookmark that you have in your Bible, uh, that's the Beatitudes. Or it's the scripture on the coffee cup that you have at home. It may be a picture that's hanging on the wall in your home somewhere. But let's be honest, most of us, when I say I'm going to talk about the Beatitudes, are thinking this is going to get controversial. That's probably not your response at all because we, we've not really understood just exactly how countercultural Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount really is. And so over the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to peel back these famous verses and I want to see what they really mean. What is Jesus really teaching? What does he really mean as he preaches this famous sermon? Let me begin by this. And again, I told you tonight, it's just going to be introduction, just going to kind of set a framework. I want to address three common mistakes to interpreting the Beatitudes, because that's what we're going to focus on uh, mainly in the Sermon on the Mount, is these uh, statements known as the Beatitudes. So three uh, wrong approaches that I think people often make to the Beatitudes. Here's the first one, is minimizing 
the Beatitudes, minimizing the Beatitudes. The first mistake people make in trying to understand what Jesus is teaching here is you treat these verses or these phrases like they're little proverbs, okay? They're like the, the Christian fortune cookie type thing, you know? Uh, they're pithy little statements that, that don't really mean all that much. You know, the nail that sticks out gets hit the hardest or whatever. It's almost like, you know, yeah, they're just kind of, you know, these little proverbial statements. We don't really know what they mean. They're, you know, we just kind of toss them around and put them on a coffee cup. That's not at all what Jesus is doing here. This is not the equivalent of a Hallmark greeting card. As I thought about this, there, there's a scene. I, I can't help but get it out of my mind as I was preparing for this, but there's a scene in Mighty Python. Forgive me. There's a scene in a Monty Python movie where there's a large crowd. Some of you already know what the scene is. And they're listening to Jesus teach the Beatitudes, and they're trying to understand what Jesus is teaching. Take a look. How blessed are those who hunger and thirst to see right prevail. They shall be satisfied. How blessed are those whose hearts are pure. Please, what was that? I don't know, I was too busy talking a big nose. I think it was, blessed are the cheesemakers. What's so special about the cheesemakers? Well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. See, if you haven't been going on, we'd have heard that, big nose. Hey, say that once more, I'll smash your bloody face in. Oh. Better keep listening. Might be a bit about blessed are the big noses. Oh, hear that? Blessed are the Greek. The Greek. Well, apparently, he's going to inherit the earth. Did anyone catch his name? You're not going to thump anybody. I'll thump him if he calls me Big Nose again. Oh, shut up, Big Nose. Oh, what? I warned you. Oh, really, we'll slug you so hard. Oh, it's the meek. Blessed are the meek. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? I'm glad they're getting something. All right, I apologize. I just couldn't, I couldn't do this message without that clip, right? And that last line, oh, blessed are the meek. Well, I'm glad they're getting something. That, that kind of, you know, just surface level, just, oh, it's so cute, and, you know, blessed are the cheesemakers or whatever, you know. Like, that tends to be how a lot of Christians think about the Beatitudes. It's like they're nice and cute and poetic. Jesus is being anything but nice, cute, and poetic when he teaches the disciples the Beatitudes. So it's a wrong approach to minimize the Beatitudes. Secondly, and this is just as dangerous, is when we moralize the Beatitudes. And what I mean here is that we turn the Beatitudes into rules you need to live by. This would have been the predominant way the Beatitudes would have been taught when I grew up in the tradition that I grew up in. It's almost like the Beatitudes are the New Testament version of the Ten Commandments. These are the things that good Christians do, whatever good Christians